Hey folks, and welcome back to another episode of Straight Shot Health Talk. This is your host, Dr. Kevin, and we're just continuing our grab bag format where I'm answering questions that were submitted at straightshothealth.com. And that was straightshothealth.com, and people sign up for the email list there, and they uh, respond to my question. Thanks, and why did you sign up? So going through these again, yeah, this one is pretty easy. I had... Um, People signing up that attended some of the pain seminars. So if you live in Oregon, I do do some live talks, live seminars there. And had someone that said they signed up for that. It was very informative and helpful. Um, interested in other helpful things you may share via email. Unfortunately, I'm not doing a lot about But thank you very much for that. Uh, but another one here. Now, this one, this one was an interesting one because this was someone who had been diagnosed with peripheral neuropathy about 25 years ago. They had no diabetes involved. They believed it was inherited from their father. Now, and they're a little bit older. I'm not going to say elderly because elderly is a mindset, not a specific age. But they believed it was taking a toll on their balance. They've seen lots and lots of different neurologists and who've told them that there was no fix. Um, and it was basically trying to adjust to, to a, what is a, a new normal for that. And uh, what was important about this question, and it's important for anybody, if you've been diagnosed with something, Okay, that you've told that there is, quote unquote, no fix to it. That doesn't mean that you are going to be, um, that there is no way that you can either improve or do better with it. Okay, again, healthcare is extraordinarily limited in the things that you can do. If you go into our healthcare system, we have the three modalities that we, they're incentivized and which really are the only therapies that we can do to you. We can cut you, poke you and drug you. And for the vast majority of chronic conditions, they are not very effective. Um, they're simply not very effective. They're, in, in, in the best case scenarios, they're a Band-Aid. In the worst case scenarios, they can accelerate things and make things worse over time. So when we look at something like peripheral neuropathy without diabetes, so diabetic peripheral neuropathy being, I think, the most common reason for peripheral, peripheral neuropathy in the United States. And in those scenarios, people would say, well, you have diabetic peripheral neuropathy. There's nothing you can do. You need to take your diabetic medication. That's not true. Okay, because well, that assumes that there's nothing you can do other than take insulin, uh, if you're insulin inquiring or take uh, either insulin um, or glucose modulating medications if you're not quite on insulin yet and whether you have type 1 or type 2 diabetes, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There, there's always something that you can do. And so and from a diabetic peripheral neuropathy standpoint, it becomes managing your, your blood sugars effectively. So you want to have uh, uh, making sure that you're not having huge big spikes in your glucose and things. And the evidence is not super great on that, but it is good for other aspects of your health that you want to make sure that you're not having, you know, living at very, very high blood sugars for long periods of time. But you can start eating better and you can start exercising better and you can start uh, uh addressing your stress and more of a challenge-based mindset rather than a threat-based mindset uh, because all those are associated with um, improve how your, your body responds when it perceives a stressor, okay? And that, ner that neuropathy, that, that kind of crazy nerve information when um, we think the nerves are sending kind of sending weird messages because they're, you, know, you kind of think of them as like frayed cables or whatever, that's a threat, particularly if you, if you see that as a threat rather than as a challenge. So good eating is a part of that for a bunch of different reasons, both with the diabetic side to improve your blood sugar, but also the control and aspect that you're feeding, that you are taking an active role in in, the, in what you're eating. That's a, a, a um, that perceived control aspect doesn't get a lot of press or understanding. That's, that's crucial to it. Um, there may be some effects of eating, eating the right foods, so not a lot of processed foods. Um, 
more plants, more vegetables. Um, again, not a lot of the simple carbohydrates and things that may improve your microbiome, which is the, the bacteria within your gastrointestinal tract that has some effects as well. Um, uh, on both metabolism, actually your brain as well. There's the exercise, which can both improve your gait, improve the muscle mass, which is where people would typically think, but is not the major driver when it comes to pain. The, the, the effects for pain come from the central effect, probably um, more from the confidence issue, uh, decreased uh, threat when you feel sensations coming up from your body, more of a, I can do this. So a, more of a challenge-based mindset. Uh, neurologically, the exercise helps you to um, use other sensory information to deal with an impaired pathway. So if you have a neuropathy and it's, it's um, uh, you, know, you know, the nerves are kind of proprioceptive information, so they're telling you where your body is, space, and time. And now you have some difficulty with that because those nerves may be getting affected by whatever that neuropathic uh, disease or pattern may be. You, you also have information that comes from your brain and your inner ear that's involved with your balance as well. So if you're losing one, you want to start strengthening those other sensory muscles, for lack of a better term, so that you have so that you, you again, it's both preventive and it is um, uh, and you can also build up to it. it. It doesn't happen overnight. It's not taking like a pill for if you've taken an antibiotic for for a bacterial infection in the back you know that those can have very quick response time this other stuff when you're talking about diet exercise and stress they take a longer amount of time but they're more sustained and more sustainable and lo and behold they also happen to tendency to have um, other effects so these are these are not just pain skills or neuropathic or neuropathy skills these are life skills that um that'll pay dividends in other areas of your life. So if someone has been told in this case that they had peripheral neuropathy 25 years ago is progressing, it isn't this idea that there's no fix. What it is is there's things that you can do to either prevent it from getting worse and if it has been present, that you can reverse some of that. Um, again, you may, not, you may not be able to reverse the neuropathy per se. Those nerves themselves may have some permanent deficits associated with them. But if it's difficulty with movement, strength, difficulty with balance, you can improve your balance by strengthening those other sensory pathways and that other information that that uh, that are involved in that process. Because there's not just our bodies are redundant. There we have multiple systems uh, that sort of overlay with each other. It's truly an, it is an amazing system that we have. All right, so we will hopefully answer that question maybe more detail than we needed. Um, let's go to the next one. Oh, this was a nurse practitioner. They listen to our podcast. They have a lot of patients who, with chronic pain, and are trying to um, reduce opioid use and help their patients. That is great. I they wanted more resources. Unfortunately, I don't have. Um, I do have some online resources that I sent them on that. What other? I know we have some other questions in here. A lot, a lot of the back pain questions, and I, I'm gonna. I'm gonna I guess that makes sense because it's like one of the most common conditions in the world. And one of the top reasons that people see their healthcare provider is for back pain. So I guess it makes sense to understand back pain. And again, and this is going to go back to a couple episodes ago where with back pain, the most important thing to remember that back pain is not a sign of back damage. Anytime that you have back pain, you, you obviously want to do a quick physical assessment. When did it occur? Did it occur because you just fell off a cliff? Did it occur because you're just in a massive car accident? Did it occur, um, 
you know, sudden onset now, you can't walk. Those are all emergencies. Probably need to be in the emergency room for. If it occurred later, and here is going to be a little side note on this. So people talk about activity-induced back pain and say you went out and exercised and then you wake up the next day with significant back pain. I'm going to just kind of put this out there that when some when someone has that type of history, I am much less concerned about them rather than the acute out of the blue or um, a trauma with associated neurologic insult like you can't move an arm or a leg or i mean those are those are emergencies you need to go to the emergency room or you can't poop or you can't or your pee you can't pee or you're pooping all over yourself those are reasons to go to the emergency room but when you have sort of this if you exercised and then you woke up the next day and now you have back pain and you just exercised your back that makes me less concerned and the reason for that is if you had a significant injury that occurred due to exercise was actually it's not the easiest thing to do folks Despite the fact that people want to tell us that our backs are these brittle things and you can sneeze and become paralyzed, the back is one of the strongest pieces of your body. And it kind of makes sense because um, if you think of the, the two most important things that you have, the things that really sustain you and, and are more likely to keep you surviving, it's the brain, duh, and the second one is your spinal cord. And the brain and spinal cord are some of the most protected areas of your body. The brain is encased in this, in, this, in this hard case. And the spinal cord is also encased in this hard case that, has, um, that is also designed for flexibility. So it's not quite as resistant as the brain, but it is, it is very strong. Okay, So if you wake up with back pain after exercise, it can be quite severe. I know. I've done it. But it is less likely to be because of badness. Could it be because all of a sudden you exercise and then you now have undiagnosed cancer? Yeah, but it's unlikely. Um, it is more likely that you may have, um, again, that sensory information, particularly danger information coming up from your body, tends to occur when we exceed what is normal for us. So if you work out and you've done an exercise that is outside the, the realm of normal for you, and specifically if you did an exercise outside of the realm of normal for you and you thought it was out of the normal, so you were concerned about it, lo and behold, that sensory information is going to come up saying, something's changed, something's changed, something changed. And um, you're going to draw some attention to it. The attention to say, oh my God, I just worked out yesterday and it was really, did a really hard work or maybe I heard some weird noises or whatever. That's going to put some fear in there. And lo and behold, you can have acute and horrible back pain the next day or day after your physical activity. But again, it, since it surfaced so uh, in, in, a, in, in a time frame that wasn't congruent with the exercise, the, the likelihood that you did exercise and then you, you split your spine up and caused serious neurological compression that didn't surface at that time, and surface layer is very, 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 very low. So again, you can have severe pain, but as long as you're moving your arms and your legs, and you're and you can walk, and you're not poop, pooping on yourself, and you and you're able to go to the bathroom, um, it in that scenario, I'd be significantly less likely to to believe that there's badness occurring with you. Now, you get, again, you can still have severe back pain. And it can still be, it can be still be uh, miserable, and it could be threatening. Um, but it's highly, or much less likely to require any sort of medical intervention. I'm certainly not going to recommend any injections for you. Um, uh, we haven't done an episode on drugs for a long time, but 
over-the-counter medications, if you need them, are going to be probably as, as effective as just make, doing some slow, gentle movements, which is probably your best bet. Uh, and you're certainly not going to want to have surgery for that, although though the, the earlier you see someone with that kind of pain and they earlier start doing x-rays and MRIs, the more likely bad stuff is to occur from all the incentive that we have in healthcare to do bad stuff to you. Okay, so so for back pain, what we're looking at is chronology. We're looking at, you know, that's the time frame when it surfaced. We're looking at things like, um, again, impact or history of trauma, time frame of back pain in association with trauma, and then and neurologic signs. So pain in and of itself is not an indication for surgery. Okay, we've done and we've done episodes on that. I remember uh, Dave Hanscom, who's a spine surgeon friend of mine. Uh, there is no indication. Surgery is not an indication for back pain. Surgery, there's an indication for surgery if you can't move your arm or leg because there's nerve compression from something. There's a mass on it or there is other compressive masses in your spine or you have an unstable spine because you have a bunch of broken bones and now your spine is, is uh, uh, moving all over the place and you're in danger of causing neurologic injury. Those are indications for surgery. Okay. But if you're a healthcare provider listening to this, the way to think about it is elective surgery for pain is not effective, nor should it be recommended because the effects are not from the surgery, but from a host of other factors. So people can get better with surgery, but it's not because of the surgery, which is another episode. What we sh if we're going to recommend operation or significant intervention, that's going to occur in those scenarios when badness is, is present, whether or not the person has pain. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, if you have somebody that was in a car accident, comes in the emergency, emergency room, and they're on a stretcher, and then they have a, um, a plane film, and they have a CT scan that reels that they have significant, they, they just basically shattered their back. Um, it is not... Uh, and, there, and we have significant concerns because that there is a potential compressive mass against the uh, against the spinal cord, and there's instability in the surrounding issues such that the, if they move or walk, we're, th we're thinking that they're going to cause significant acute compression of the spinal cord and permanent neurological harm. Whether or not that person has pain, you would probably rec recommend a surgery for them. Correct. And another scenario. If you have someone who comes in with um, and they have uh, maybe they, they're having difficulty moving an arm or a leg and then you do an MRI because they have uh, motor deficits and then that MRI shows a large cancer compressing their spine or nerve. Would you or would you not recommend treatment for that whether or not they have pain? Okay, so. We're not using pain as the decider for intervention. We're using whether or not badness is present. If you feel like someone really needs a therapy so significant, and again, whether or not they have pain, maybe they have a horrible bacterial infection and they're ready to die, and they want to leave your office or your ER, and you are like, you really need this. And really, is if you want someone to sign a piece of paper that says, against my medical advice, you are refusing care, those are the scenarios that aggressive intervention may make sense, whether or not the person has pain. But to intervene on pain or to recommend aggressive interventions when 
pain is the only complaint. And I'm using only as a singular form, not only because I'm trying to diminish it, because you can have massive, horrible, awful pain that I'm not saying isn't needed to be addressed. But I'm not saying that awful pain, we can definitely make it worse through medical interventions. Medical interventions are not for pain. They're for badness, horrible, awful things that may or may not have pain associated with them. And so that last little point there was more for the healthcare providers out there. But if you're not a healthcare provider, it's another way to think about it as well. Is it, it just kind of goes back to the you know that horrible river of of healthcare. You dip your toe in, rule out badness, and you can you can you can have pain with badness, and you can have pain without badness. The only thing you want to know is if there's badness present. Once you get badness excluded, then get out of there. Uh, recognize that you still have pain, but there's things that we can do um, you can do for pain that aren't likely to cause significant long-term sequelae, bad sequelae as is some of the other ones too. All right, and with that, folks, uh, getting a little bit longer. I'm not good at doing multiple episodes, apparently, on multiple questions. Until next time, oh, and again, if you have your own questions that you want to submit, you can just put those in at straighthothealth.com. They're signed up for the email list, and there's a thanks and why that says, hey, why did you sign up for that? Uh, and that is probably the easiest way to do it. And when I get those questions, I will answer them. <laughs> thanks, folks, and stay well.